0: Father, as we bow here before you, we are reminded of just all the many things you've done for us, Lord, and how you love us in spite of ourselves. Lord, we are so grateful that we get to come and worship freely. And my prayer today is that each one of us would take advantage of that. And as we come together here today, we would indeed be worshiping the God of the universe and the Savior of our souls. And that, Lord, we would thank you and praise you and worship you here today. And we ask now that as we go through the remainder of this service that you would open up your word and. Expose it to us and us to it and forever change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you all be seated. Have you ever noticed how that um, some people can handle the stress of life and other people can't? For example, let's take two Christians. Two people that have put their faith in Jesus Christ and a sudden emergency occurs and One crumbles and the other remains strong. Or someone gets a bad doctor's report and one of those believers remains strong and the other one crumbles under the, uh, the report that's been given. You go to work and find out that your salary's been cut or else you've lost your job and two different believers and one of them is strong and makes it through and not saying they're not disappointed or hurt or afraid, but they seem to go through it. The other one just seems to fold up like an accordion. So what's the problem? You lose a loved one, same thing happens. One person handles it well, the other seems to struggle, and, and it just never ends. The grief never, never gets any better, let's say. So what is the difference between these two believers? Um, one is, I believe, filled with God's strength, and the other isn't. They're empty. Uh, There's just a strength about the one that makes it through, and then there's something about the other one that just seems to be missing. Both are believers, and we're not questioning that. But we're just saying that they have responded to the situation in different ways. Now, what I'm going to tell you here, I want you to bear with me here because I'm going to need to to build this and, and to flesh it out a little bit. But the difference, I believe, is summed up in one word, and the word is worship. You see, the one that makes it through, the one that remains strong, is somehow, if you look at their life, they are involved in worship on a regular basis, a daily basis. The one that folds and just seems to, can't get through it and can't recover from it and just worries and, and all of these other things, we've all been there. We've all experienced that before. That one is probably not involved in worship throughout the week and therefore they don't have the strength that God makes available to them both but only one of them seems to take advantage of it now there are some misconceptions about what worship is and this is what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes today i'm going to give you three misconceptions misconceptions real quick about what worship is or what we think it is and um then we're going to move into looking at some things the first misconception that I believe is true of us as believers is that worship is just a synonym for music. That When we talk about worship, we're really just talking about music, like we've just been through a great worship time here. Now, I believe that worship or, or the music is part of worship. is certainly a way to express worship. It's in one of the expressions. But it is not the only thing. But yet in our society, that's how we've sort of defined it is that we worship God through singing, and and then that's the end of the worship. And we've even termed it that way, the worship time in a service, and then you go into the preaching time, uh, just to make a distinction. Here's another misconception that we have, and that is that worship is something that is for my benefit. In other words, I come to church to worship so that I can be blessed by it, so somehow I can be drawn closer to God. And then I leave a different person. That's what worship is all about. And there again, that's wrong. Because we look into the scriptures and we find that worship is all about God. It's us worshiping him. It's our expression expression to him. And what I'm going to be talking to you about today is, remember, the difference between being full of God and being empty. And I believe that one of the byproducts of of real worship is that God just fills you up. And I believe also that there are people who go through the, the motions of worship and remain empty. And, and there's a real difference there. And so as we think about this today, this is what I'm going to be talking about. This, When we think of worship, it's not about what is good for you. It's not about what makes you feel good. It's not about what gives you goosebumps. It's not about those things. Because you see too many of us go to church or listen to music because it makes us feel better. And there again, you've got it turned around because the scripture teaches us that we come together or separately and individually, either way, we come for God's benefit, not for ours. But in doing so, God blesses us and God pours out his abundance on us because of what we have done. Let me read you this verse. It's in Psalms 29, verse 2. It says this. David says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, in that verse, it doesn't say a thing about me or you. It's all about him. And that he's saying to us that I come to the Lord and I ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due. It's due him, you see. I owe it to him. And that I worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. It never said for me to go about doing this because it's going to make you feel better. It's going to make you happy. Those are byproducts of real worship when I come with that mindset, with that intent to lift the Lord up and not just seek some relief for myself. Here's the third misconception of what worship is, and that is some people believe that worship is not all that really, not all that important. Um, people get too caught up into in worship and, and we just we just don't think that it's that important. Well, there again, that's a misconception and it's not true because the Bible teaches very clearly their worship is important. We just got to understand what it is, but it is very important. There's a path, there's a story in the Bible. It's in the book of John when um, Jesus is um, meets the woman at the well, and she begins to ask him questions, and he begins to tell her things about herself, and she realizes very quickly who he is. Not so much who he is, but there's something really different about this guy. So she begins to ask him some theological questions about the debate about worship. Do do you have to go to Jerusalem to worship? Can you worship here in Samaria? That type of thing. And he makes this statement. Now watch what he says. John chapter 4, verse 23. He says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, notice what he's telling her, okay? He said, the time has already come, it's here, because I'm here, that the people that are really and truly worshiping God are going to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. In other words, it doesn't really matter where you are is what he's saying. That's not the issue. You need to know what the truth is. You need to understand who God is and what it's all about. And you need to come and you need to worship him on a spiritual level. And you are acknowledging Him in worshiping Him and loving Him. He said, this is the kind of worshiper that the Father needs and wants. Does God want you to be worshiping? Absolutely. Because it says it right here. God wants that. He desires it. He covets it. So how do we define what worship is then? How, how do we make a, some sort of a definition, if you will? Let me try to give you a definition. Uh, at least some understanding of what worship means and what, how it's used in Scripture. To ascribe value or worth to someone or something. If you're going to worship somebody, you're going to ascribe to them some measure of value or worth. Now, in relation to what we're talking about here today, I come to worship God, and I come for this reason, that at least I should be, I am coming to tell you and to show you and to ascribe to you, God, the worth that you are due, the value that is yours. And so by my expressions of worship to you, I am honoring you, I am lifting you up, and I am praising you. And that's what I'm doing, see, as opposed to a lot of us who don't think that it's important or that it's just for me and my benefit, and it doesn't, you know, really have that much to do with God. But when you look in Scripture, when we're talking about worshiping God, we're talking about honoring Him, reverencing Him, praising Him. Anything that brings pleasure to God is me ascribing to Him that, hey, you know what, you're worth it. You're of value to me. And so this is the reason I come. Now, anthropologists have studied people. That's the study of man. And they've come up with some observations over the years. One of the things that they've noted or have concluded is this. That they have discovered that worship is a universal urge in every person. Think about this. That somehow it's saying that they have, man has been hardwired in the very fabric of his being to worship some being, something greater than himself. Now, we know that to be true because the Bible says that only a fool would say in his heart that there is no God. God has wired us to know that God exists—that's just who. The way it has been done, we may not know all the details. We may not know, understand all of the intricacies, intricacies of the of the gospel and so forth. But eventually, we get there. But until that point, people still worship. This is the reason why so many people worship idols throughout the world, because they are hardwired by God has been innately put in them this desire to worship something greater than themselves. And if they don't know the truth, then they make one up on their own. But they have to be worshiping something that's just born, and born in, born. It's just uh, bred in them. It's just who they are. Because we as people have been made that way. Now watch this verse. Listen to this verse. It's in Romans chapter 1, and verse 25. Paul is talking about mankind and how mankind has slid off into depravity over the centuries since creation. And here's what he says. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. He says, This is what happened to mankind. They began to set up their own idols and worship them and and praise them rather than the truth of, of the creator. And this is what has exactly happened. People have fallen into that trap. Now, when we worship God daily, now understand this, I'm talking about something that is more than and greater than just what we do on Sunday morning. But when we learn to be worshipful people, when we learn throughout the course of our day that this is part of who we are, this is part of, of our our being, when we learn to do that on a regular basis, then the strength that I talked about earlier in this sermon begins to develop within us. It is something that just takes place. People say, well, I would have thought that a person who, who stands in the in the midst of trials, that person would have a strong faith. Exactly. But how did they get that? By spending time in the presence of God. How did they get the peace that they're experiencing? By spending time in the presence of God. It doesn't come naturally. And so as you and I begin to understand what worship is, and we begin to every day put this into practice, and every day take those opportunities to lift Him up and honor Him and praise Him in everything that we do, All of a sudden, there's an inner strength that begins to develop in us. And if my daily routine, the things that I do throughout the course of the day, can all fall into the category of my expression of worship to God, then, yeah, when the world around me falls apart, then there is an inner strength. There is something that I can't explain. I can just tell you that it's there. And you've heard some testimonies here briefly during our worship service today that people have expressed that this is what god has done for me there's a strength about someone who worships i want to go into the passage here it's in acts chapter 16 it's the story when paul and silas enter into one of the roman cities and they encounter a, a demon-possessed girl and she is a slave girl owned by some roman citizens and um she has been um, demon possessed and she has been given the, or is the, has the ability to foretell futures and so she is a fortune teller and so she's following them around, you know being loud and obnoxious, so in their defense, they turn around, cast the demon out of her, and then her owners become angry at them for having done away with their source of income. And so now the story picks up in Acts chapter 16 in verse 19. It says when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now I'll stop there. They lost their source of income and they are angry. And now they have come before the authorities, which before they wouldn't have cared. But now all of a sudden they're making an issue of it. These guys are preaching and teaching things that are contrary to Roman custom. They're preaching the gospel. And we think there's something ought to be done about it. So they're trying to retaliate. In verse 22, it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, now understand that, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now guys, you gotta picture this, okay? They'd been beaten severely. They have been thrown into the inner cell, the the deepest cell in the the jail, most secure. They have been put into stocks, and they've been left there. Then here's what happens in verse 25. Now watch. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prisoners' doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Picture this, okay? Here they are. They've been beaten, flogged, thrown into prison, put into stocks in the dark cell of night. What are they doing? They are worshiping. They are praying and they are singing and all the other prisoners can hear them and they're just having a revival right there in the midst of the biggest mess they've ever found themselves in. You talk about hardships, you talk about hard times, you talk about suffering, there they are in the middle of it. And yet they are worshiping. Now here's the question. Think about this, okay? Did they know, do you think, did they know and understand that God was going to send an earthquake and get them out of there? I don't think so. I don't think they knew that. Do you think that they were praising God and worshiping because they were hoping that he would get them out of there? I don't think that's true either. You know why they were doing it? Because they had always done it. It was part of their routine. It was part of their life. That's the way they lived. Now watch, because here they are in an absolutely horrible situation, and they are worshiping God, and that, my friend, was the source of their strength. How could they endure that mess? How could they how they keep put up with that? Because this is the people that they were. And the strength came from this perspective on life, that regardless of where I am and what I'm doing, I'm always going to worship. I'm always going to lift him up. And as such, I catch the fallout from God's blessing. And that's what took place. The jailer scared because he knows that he'll die if they escape. So here in verse 29, it says, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now the question is, what does that mean? Because there's two possibilities. I don't know that the jailer had been listening. I don't know that the jailer is asking about spiritual salvation. He's saying, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to be delivered from this mess that I'm in? Paul immediately says, here's how you are going to be delivered. You're going to trust the Lord and be saved that way spiritually. And God's going to take care of this. Now, I don't know what all was running through the man's mind. I really don't. But at any rate... He did just that. Because in verse 31 it says they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And that at that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Look at the result. Here's All of this took place because Paul and Silas were in the routine of worshiping God. And it did not matter if things were going great. It did not matter if things were in the pits. It didn't matter if they were about as empty of hope as they could possibly be. It didn't matter. Because they were going to worship him and praise him and acknowledge him in every situation of life. And the, the blessing, now watch, the blessing to them was a steadfast faith and peace and to be able to look at this mess and say, you know what, as bad as it may be, I have complete confidence that God will see me through it or take me home, either way. And you ask me then, how can, is it that you can take two Christians and respond totally differently to a same given situation? Because one, I'll guarantee you the result, is one, the one that hangs in there, the one that is strong, throughout the course of their routine, their week, they are acknowledging, they are worshiping, and they may not even know they're doing it. And the other is just running on empty because they are so caught up in the world and, and just taking care of business that they don't have time for it. And that, my friend, I believe is the, probably the difference. In the book of Psalms, it says this. David says, come, in in Psalms 95, 6, it says, David says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. This is something he's saying, let's do it. You know, let's do it. In uh, Psalms 34, 1, he says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Now notice these clarifications here. I will do it when? Well, at all times. How, when are you, when are you going to lift him up? All times. When are you going to praise him? Always. Throughout the course of my day, throughout the course of my week, this is going to be the person that I am. This is going to be what I do. And you ask me how I can stand in the middle of this mess? This is why. Because I've spent time in his presence. I can handle this. Or he can handle it for me. But I trust him. Where does my faith grow? It grows in the quiet times when I'm praising and worshiping God. That's when it grows. It grows when I'm singing and praising him in a song service or alone or listening to a CD. That's when my faith grows. How do I make worship a part of my routine? How can that possibly be? Let me read you two verses. Now listen to this very carefully. Because, you see, we get caught up in this. We think we have conditioned our our thinking to this, that worship has got to be something elaborate. You know, it's got to be like a worship service in a church. It's got to be music. It's got to be this. It's got to be all these things. Watch. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Paul says this. He says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Oh. Okay, so when I go to work tomorrow, that I can give God that day and I can lift him up and I can praise him and I can say, I do this for you. I will be the best, whatever it is that I do, I will be the best because it will be a testimony to your glory and I will witness for you in this job and I will do it well. That's worship. Don't watch this verse. Paul, again, in Colossians, in chapter 3, verse uh, 23, look at what he says. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. When you're at work, he said, you want to worship God? Then do the best job you can as unto the Lord, because at the end of the day, that's who you're serving. And because you're of value to me, God, then I'm going to do the best I can and I'm going to take you with me out throughout my whole day and I'm going to remember you and I'm going to reflect on you. And everything changes. Why? Because of your perspective. You see, worship is something that you do. It's something that you do no matter where you are because you're you're lifting Him up, you're acknowledging Him, you're worshiping Him, you're praising Him. When I was in Bible college, we were down in Florida, in uh, uh, North Miami Beach. And we worked at a public's grocery store. A lot of the guys from school, I've told you these stories before. Um, one of the things that we did in Bible college that we didn't really have to do in seminary is in Bible college, you had to memorize Scripture. In seminary, they just taught you what it meant. They didn't care if you memorized it, so we didn't have to do a lot of that. But in Bible college, we did. We'd carry around three-by-five cards in our pockets. We would bag groceries, take them out, and we would the whole time be reading our cards, sticking in our pocket, trying to memorize verses because the next morning you're going to be tested on them. We learned hundreds of verses having to do with salvation and so forth and witnessing and what have you. But here's the result of that. Here's what happened. Now watch. Here we would be, and we were living in a Jewish community on North Miami Beach, some of the rudest individuals I have ever met in my life. They were just rude, mean. Older people, retired, unhappy with life, and mad at the world. And we would bag their groceries, take them out, and, and you know, this was back when you could earn tips, so this is the reason all the Bible college boys did it, because we were earning tips at that time. But it didn't matter whether they were rude. It didn't matter whether they tipped you. It didn't matter whether they were obnoxious. It didn't matter if you had to go clean up a mess that they had made in the middle of an aisle. It didn't matter any of that. You know why? Because what I discovered was this. I was learning scripture. And in the process of memorizing the scripture, I was learning what it meant to. Because I would sit there and think, I'd have to in order to memorize it. No, what's he talking about? Throughout the course of the day, I am inundated with Scripture. And what I discovered was this, because guys, this is important. It didn't matter what happened in the course of my day. Because i got to tell you something, I'm floating up here on another spiritual plane that was above all that mess. It was a matter of perspective. I had filled my mind and my heart with Scripture and with the truth of what who God is and what He's like, and it didn't matter. You want to be rude to me? <laughs> It doesn't matter. You know, you want to make a mess and drop what it was, a Gavelta fish or something, this nasty stuff in the middle of the floor? It didn't matter. I'd clean it up with a smile on my face because I wasn't thinking about the problem, just like Paul and Silas. And so, yeah, there's a difference between two believers, one who's filled with the knowledge of God and the power of God because he's been worshiping, and one that's running on empty. Guys, sometimes we are those of us that run on empty can't see the value of worship. We say, I don't have time for that. You don't have time not to. Because if you're running on empty, let me tell you, there's only one way out of that. And that you move back toward God in daily acts of worship where you are lifting Him up and your whole entire focus is changing. And all of a sudden, you're filled with peace All of a sudden, you're filled with assurance. All of a sudden, you're filled with strength because this is who you are. This is who you have become. And the byproduct of that, not because I'm doing it selfishly, like so many of us do. It's all about me. It's not that, no. I'm doing it for him. And in return, he does something in me. It's a remarkable experience. What are some of the examples of worship then? When we talk about worship on, on a daily basis, what would be some examples? Well, singing is probably the foremost and probably one of the most important. We're not downplaying that by any means. Um, we sang here today, and we, we at the beginning of our service, we, we began singing, and it's like you could sense something different. And I don't really know why. I don't know how Nathan knew in what I was going to be speaking on because sometimes I don't know until Saturday. But you know, I have a title, and that's about it. How he knew, and that God orchestrated this whole thing. But people were singing, testimonies were being shared, and God was here. Um, there have been times where people go into a worship service and and they come out and they get nothing out of it. Not here, not just here, but everywhere. It happens. The question, you know, why? I think sometimes because we come with expectations that somebody's going to do something to me and for me. It happens all the time because we judge, listen to this, we judge the value of a church service by how it made me feel. Hmm. Show me that in Scripture. Because my Bible says I come to lift him up. I don't come to judge how it makes me feel. Because you know what? Sometimes I don't feel very good. And nothing's <laughs> going to change that. And there's nobody going to lift me up that day. You know what i found? People debate about music and they debate about whether it's traditional or contemporary and what's best and what's wrong and who likes what. It, guys, it doesn't matter. Let me encourage you to do something, okay? Just read the words. I don't care what, what the tune is. I don't care what's being uh, played up here. I don't care whether it's a guitar or piano or an organ. It doesn't matter. Read the words. And if you start speaking the words back as an act of worship to God, things change for you you want to be touched, you want feeling, you want emotion, you want something to happen to you on a whole different plane, a whole different level, then you start worshiping God and your heart will change. See, you read the words. What are you saying back to God as an act of worship? So singing is definitely one. You can listen, guys. You can sit in your car with a worship CD and worship just as In the presence of God as if you were in a church service. You know, the music is so important. It really is. Quiet time is another one. Whether you're praying, you're praising God, or you're studying your Bible. Why are you doing it? You know, you're giving back to God. An act of worship that says to Him, You're worth my time. I want to know you. It changes everything. Quiet times, the service that I'm talking about, Christian service, acts of ministry, if you will. Let me read you this verse, and then I want to talk about it for a moment, okay? So Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now listen to what it says. Paul says this, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, when you think about what he's done for you, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now watch this. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, what does he mean? He says this. He says, I want you, in view of all the things that God has done for you, to respond this way. I want you to present your body, your life, as a living sacrifice. To say to God, here I am, and let's pretend this is the altar, and you climb up on the altar in a spiritual sense. You're climbing up on the altar, and you're saying, here I am, God. Take it. It's yours. Okay, that means that my time, my money, my health, my everything I've got is yours. Now, let's take and apply that then to a situation in your life. For example, how many of you men or women are working in vacation Bible school this coming week? Raise your hand or next week. All right, look around you. We've got to lift those hands up. I want to see who you are. God bless you. Okay, now this is going to take a week of your time. You have already spent probably untold hours decorating for for VBS. Why are you doing that? That is so foolish to spend your time doing that? Why are you doing it? I dare say that when you took on that responsibility, that your, your mindset, your way of thinking was this, that I am going to do it because I want to worship God. This is my act of worship. This is what I do. This is what I want to do. When you teach a Sunday school class, when you go to camp, when you... Um, to witness to somebody, when you go to jail ministry or prison ministry or whatever you do, when you when you spend time with a coworker who's hurting, whatever it may be, when you give money to the poor or help, help in any way, whatever it may be. You see, you do that because in your mind you're thinking, in view of all that God has done for me, how could I not? And Paul says to you that when you do that, you are presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. He said, now, the guy, he said, this is your, it's normal worship. This is what is expected. See, you you and I don't understand it. We sometimes look at these opportunities and say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's not my thing. I don't want to. And we don't think of it or look at it as an act of worship, and we need to start doing that. Hearing the word, giving, giving as an act of worship, sharing your faith in the Lord's Supper. All of these are acts of worship. In a moment, we're going to partake together of the Lord's Supper. Before we do, let me read you this passage. And this is the last passage for today. It's in 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. In chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, he says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What's he saying? He's saying basically the bread is going to represent my body that's going to be broken for you tomorrow, actually. He said, and whenever you do this, as often as you do it, you remember what I'm doing for you because that's an act of worship. Verse 25, he says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we do this, do you think, you ever thought about that? We're saying, in effect, When we take this, he died for us. His body was broken and his blood was shed. And you know what? He's going to come back for us. We are publicly stating that. This is one of the great acts of worship that that the church does corporately together. We come together as believers. And for just a little bit, and this is the reason I believe he said for us to do it, just a little bit, you forget about your work. You forget about your family. You forget about your money problems. You forget about all the issues of life. And you humble yourself and you look at that bread and you remember what he's done. And you worship him for it and you thank him for it. You hold that little cup of juice that represents the blood that that took care of all of your sins, the past, the present, the future, all gone. And you worship him. So in a moment, we're going to partake together. I want to ask you to wait till everybody's been served, and then we'll partake together. But in the process of waiting, I want you to turn your attention completely on the Lord. This is a time where you demonstrate to Him your love for Him just by reflecting, by thinking, by praying, just by worshiping. So I'm going to ask the men that are going to be distributing this to come on up. And starting here today at this table together, let us change a little bit, okay? Let us become worshipers and let this whole idea of worship permeate the coming week. And let this maybe be the beginning of establishing a routine of worship in our lives, because I guarantee you guys, you're going to face the hardships. You're going to face the pain and the suffering. It's coming. It does to everybody. Are you going to stand or are you going to fold? You'll stand if you spend time worshiping. If not, you're going to be empty. Don't let that happen.